welcome to Sage and Spirit, a podcast designed to nourish your mind, body, soul, and spirit. I'm your host, Anna Claire Lottie, and I'm so grateful you're here. In this holistic wellness podcast, I'll be having candid conversations with others, exploring topics such as healing with plants, food as medicine, earth connection, spirituality, conscious entrepreneurship, and so much more. Thank you for being here and sharing in this journey with me. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode four. Today, I'm speaking with Gina Rivers Kantla, and Gina is the National Science Educator for Host Defense Mushrooms from Fungi Perfecti. She is a community herbalist who I actually met at an herbal conference a few years back with the American Herbalist Guild. And Gina is just one of those people that once you start talking to her, you just want to keep talking. She's so much fun. She's incredibly knowledgeable, and she has so much information that she shares with us today. Gina is a community herbalist and an educator with over 30 years of experience in the natural products industry. She started studying herbs at the age of 15 and has had the opportunity to study with so many of the most eminent leaders in the field. Gina has worked for Host Defense for the last 10 years, first as a representative, and then in the last five years, she has been working as an educator and a product formulator for Host Defense Mushrooms. She travels extensively all over the U.S. to educate the public, retailers, and practitioners. Gina also has an educational background in nursing and is really able to adapt her understanding of anatomy and physiology and even biochemistry and really easy to understand concepts that engage her audiences. So in this episode, we talk a lot about functional mushrooms. We talk about mycelium and how the mycelium of mushrooms differs from the fruiting body. And we get really into the different ways that people can work with functional mushrooms and the myriad benefits that all of these mushrooms offer. While a lot of this conversation today is a little bit heady and scientific, again, Gina's approach is really all-encompassing and opens up this subject even for people who are new to learning about functional mushrooms or all the different ways that these mushrooms can be of benefit and support for our bodies. She incorporates real-life experience and scientific validation and friendly and energetic lectures and really just captivates and inspires people from all over. We do get a little bit esoteric towards the end of this show, and Gina goes a whole lot deeper into talking about the mycelium of mushrooms and what they might mean for us as a different way of looking at the earth and also at ourselves during the times that we're living through. I had so much fun talking with Gina today, and I really hope that you enjoy this episode and come away from it learning a little bit more about all of the different mushrooms that grow around us and how we can incorporate them into our lives. Enjoy the show. Hey, Gina. Welcome to Sage and Spirit. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks, Anna Claire. I'm really happy to be here. It's so good to see you and talk to you again. I know. I'm so excited. It's been a while since we've gotten to see each other in person. Absolutely. 
I'm super excited today, too, to delve into the world of functional and beneficial mushrooms. And I know that this has been a really hot topic lately. We've seen a lot of different products coming out, and I think a lot of people are getting really curious about mushrooms and how they can support different functions in our bodies. I wonder if you might give us sort of an intro to the mushrooms that you work with and how you got started in this whole realm. Awesome. Absolutely. You know, as somebody, I've worked with Paul Stamets and Host Defense now directly for over six years, and I've I've worked with the company now over 10 years. So having this popularity now of mushrooms and this consciousness that is making its way out into society at large is very, very exciting for us. Uh, because when I first started with a company, the concept of taking a, a mushroom in a capsule you know, as a supplement was really bizarre. I mean, even, even to people that were used to taking vitamins and herbs in this way, uh, taking mushrooms in an extract or a capsule was very bizarre to them. Um, and that's pretty much the case with, with Western societies. We, we tend to be largely mycophobic. And when you look at cultures all around the world, like Chinese, China and Japan and Korea, these cultures have been using mushrooms, not just as food, but also as um, support for various health, uh, health reasons for millennia, for centuries and millennia, really, with some mushrooms. So uh, Host Defense grows. We grow our own mushrooms in the beautiful state of Washington. And we utilize many of the mushrooms that have a long ethnomycological history of use in Chinese, traditional Chinese medicine, in Korean uh, herbalism and Kampo, the traditional um, herbalism practice of Japan. So we grow reishi, of course, uh, chaga, maitake, turkey tail, shiitake. Uh, there's many, many, many of them that we grow and then we grow many different strains. We grow uh, at-risk species, such as Agaricon, Fomus fomentarius. It's a, a mushroom that really, um, you don't see much out of the old growth forest in the Pacific Northwest. It's a very slow growing mushroom. And we grow all of our mushrooms sustainably uh, because many of these mushrooms <clears throat> take years to grow and tons of biomass to actually produce in the wild. So we're all about sustainable growing as well. I'm trying to remember what else you asked me, Anna Claire. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're all good. Um, uh, a broad category. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, I had no, I had no idea that Host Defense actually grows their own mushrooms. So that's that's surprising information to me. That's super awesome. And I totally hear what you're saying too about taking mushrooms in capsules. I think that. It's, it's almost like this blurring of lines between food and then, you know, some sort of supplementation or support. Right. And so it's interesting to see these lines being blurred and people getting more excited about them. You know, there's a lot of mushrooms um, that are used in coffee substitutes now and that sort of thing. And I feel like that's becoming more and more popular. So um, as far as the mushrooms that you just mentioned, I wonder if you might be able to 
choose a couple that you find to be your favorites and tell us a little bit about them. Just kind of like, what are the different ways that mushrooms can be supportive? Do they just work with one body system? Are they more an overall sort of support or what's your, what's your stance on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, the thing is the mushrooms that we use not only support the immune system. I think that, that mushrooms even people that feel like they know a little bit about functional mushrooms, their primary focus is on how mushrooms support immunity, which they do. Uh, they're immune modulators, so they have this beautiful impact on our immune system, which I can go into in a little bit of detail in a few minutes. Uh, however, what we've also found is many of these individual species of mushrooms, such as reishi uh, or lion's mane, these mushrooms wind up providing support to different body systems in a highly beneficial way. Uh, lion's mane has been very, very popular recently. And lion's mane has been found to promote the growth of uh, nerve or the uh, stimulation of nerve growth factor in the body when you consume it. And nerve growth factor is what tells our stem cells to differentiate into nervous tissue or brain cells. Uh, lately, some research has shown that lion's mane can promote brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is another molecule that stimulates our, our nerves to regenerate and heal. So the implications there as using lion's mane as a functional food are enormous when you really think about it. Uh, that we've also had a handful of human clinical trials that show that lion's mane can actually benefit cognitive functioning and uh, recall, short-term memory recall. So that's one of our superstar mushrooms right now, Lion's Mane. Reishi would be one of my other very favorite mushrooms that actually the Ganoderma genus is, is my favorite genus of mushrooms. Um, Reishi is also known as the mushroom of immortality. We have over a 2000 year written clinical history of Reishi being used in traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, in 500 AD, we have a copy that was, that was, that was, um, we've dated back to about 500 AD, uh, called the Shenong Bensal Jing. Now, if anybody listening is a native speaker of, of Mandarin or Cantonese, please forgive me if I, if I butchered that pronunciation, but <laughs> Shenong Bensal Jing is the divine farmer. Um, and this was the, uh, herbal of the divine farmer. And he mentioned uh, six superior herbs of which reishi was one of them. So you have all this beautiful poetry about this uh, mushroom. Uh, there's mentions of it, uh, it um, encouraging gracefulness and gentleness within the spirit. And then you also see some clinical applications of, uh, of Ganoderma species as well in this ancient text. And it's really thought that many other, that it was a copy of a copy of a copy, the one that we have. So we really think that reishi was probably used for millennia, maybe even, uh, or centuries, or maybe even millennia before that. We just don't have that written clinical history. Um, but it's a mushroom that has, uh, it's been used in hundreds, if not thousands of traditional Chinese medicine formulas. Uh, over the years, it has a high, high degree of safety, but we know when you have that historical context behind it, it also has a high 
degree of efficacy. And it has been studied in current scientific literature and shown that it may positively benefit just about every system of the body. So on top of that immune support, you're also getting beautiful cardiovascular support with reishi. Uh, reishi has been shown to help balance out our blood lipid levels, raise HDL, lower LDL, uh, and triglycerides. It's been found to increase the plasticity of our blood vessels. And as we age, that is something that just naturally happens. Our blood vessels tend to become more rigid and hard. So reishi may be able to keep our blood vessels more pliable. Uh, we have studies that show it may increase energy production in the heart muscle itself uh, through the direct interaction with the mitochondria. So just all these amazing, robust studies around cardiovascular health. Uh, we know reishi is also an adaptogen. So it helps our bodies deal with stress, both external stress that we experience, like people swerving into our lane in traffic, but also internal stress. When we, when we experience any type of imbalance in the body, this also creates stress. So reishi is this beautiful uh, balancer. It's a, it's a beautiful adaptogen. It's gentle, but it's effective. And we know that we can use it on a daily basis. Um, in fact, <clears throat> reishi is a mushroom that you would want to use uh, continuously to, to get, uh, to reap the benefits from it. So those are probably two of my favorite, uh, mushrooms, uh, that we grow. And, uh, I mentioned before they, they impact our immune system in a very beautiful way. We have found that mushrooms, we have to, we just have a lot in common with mushrooms that we don't have with plants. And a lot of people don't know that. Uh, we share up to 55% of our own DNA with the fungal kingdom, and we only share around 15% with plants, to put that in perspective. So mushrooms and humans have a lot in common. We, we both breathe oxygen. We both exhale carbon dioxide. Uh, we both um, uh, have to break it, secrete enzymes in order to break down nutrients and absorb them from food. Plants don't do that, of course, they, they photosynthesize. Uh, we have senses that give us information about the world around us. Mushrooms secrete something called quorum sensing compounds, which function as the organism senses and gives it information about the world around it. So we've evolved a lot of similarities. Uh, and part of Part of that is a almost intimate recognition by our immune cells when we come into contact with beneficial mushroom material. Say, even when we eat a, a, you know, a, a shiitake stir fry, as that material is moving through our digestive tract, which is home for about 70% of our immune cells, uh, that material will come into contact with highly specialized patches in our digestive tract called Peyer's patches. And this is where a lot of our immune cells are uh, gathered together. And <clears throat> they come into contact with these immune cells and cause this uh, upregulation of the immune system. So in that way, it doesn't matter what mushroom you eat, the polysaccharides that are in mushrooms have that impact on our immune system. So that's pretty cool because you can choose lion's mane to support your memory or your nervous system, and you're still getting that immune benefit, if that makes sense.
Yeah. So they're super multifunctional, it sounds like. And I had no idea that we had that much in common with mushrooms, just in the way that, you know, that we interact with the world around us and that they interact with the world around them in a very similar manner. I have heard people refer to the mycelium of mushrooms before as being similar to our own nervous system or neural network. And definitely the mushrooms that you mentioned are two of my favorites too, of the ones that I've tried. Um, Reishi, I think is the very first mushroom I learned about as far as being supportive for the different body systems. And it really is just this like master of mushrooms. And, um, and, you know, I like to add it into soups and stews. And sometimes I like to put it in my coffee in the mornings or I'll make a double extraction tincture. So I feel like there's so many different ways to work with reishi. And I'm actually wondering, as you mentioned reishi, um, I know that there are different species and I know one of the main ones that I learned about, at least in Chinese medicine is the Ganoderma lucidum. Lucidum. Mm -hmm. And here in Appalachia, we have a local species that grows on the dead and dying hemlocks called Ganoderma suge. Do you find that one to be supportive as well? I've kind of read some mixed reviews as to uh, species. Oh my gosh, Anna Claire, you're hitting on this topic that herbalists will probably debate very hotly until the day that we are, there are no more herbalists. Right. Um, (laughs) So yes, yes. Uh, Reishi, when you look at the historical text, the Ben Saljing, of course they did not have, you know, the Latin binomials that we have today to identify plants and mushrooms. And they classified Reishi by its color, red Reishi, purple Reishi, black Reishi, and there are herbalists to this day that swear they know the genus and species of what Ben Saljin is referring to. However, if you go to China, depending on what, where you are, what market you're in, there are multiple different species that can be considered uh, Ganoderma lucidum, or their word is uh, Ganoderma lingji, right? That's the true reishi that we hear about. But really, lingji or lingji. Uh, as they call it, is a catch-all phrase in their culture for any Ganoderma species. The comforting thing is they're used quite a bit interchangeably. There are many um, compounds that are found unique to the Ganoderma genus that you're going to find in in different species. And it's interesting that you mentioned um, Ganoderma suge. Because I've heard other herbalists, you know, debate about whether it's as active as, say, the, the lingzhi that you would get imported from China. There was this amazing paper that was written in 2018, I think it was 2018, and it's called Elucidating Lucidum. And these researchers did this exhaustive study on all of the Ganoderma species in the United States because they were trying to determine if this Ganoderma lingzhi or Ganoderma lucidum was actually indigenous to the United States. And what they found was they found that particular species, the Ganoderma lingzhi, growing in Utah and in California, but suspiciously, it was growing very, very close to mushroom farms that were cultivating. So they think that it was an escaped cultivar that had made it out into the wild. 
what they were able to do is take all of the different species of Ganoderma in the United States and, and put them into clades and file them with Mycobank. And Mycobank is the keeper of all of the genetic profiles, the DNA of all the mushrooms that have been classified to date. And so they uh, found that Ganoderma suge and Ganoderma organensi that grows out west were both in the closest clade to the Ganoderma uh, lingerie from, from China. So not only is Ganoderma suge um, useful, and, and it, it's actually one of the closest United States relatives that we have to the Ganoderma lingerie that has been classified in, in China and in Eastern Europe. So it's really interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really excited to hear that too because there's just something that feels really special about being able to work with the plants and the medicines, uh, mushrooms, I mean, that grow around you. And so yeah. being able to work with these mushrooms that grow here on these trees in Appalachia that are dying anyway, it's kind of this right. beautiful renewal process rather than having to rely on mushrooms that we're importing from China, you know, like you said, or something like right. that. So I'm really excited to hear that our local mushroom is also very supportive um, because I think that probably in the next few months, we'll see them starting yes. to fruit around here. Like it's usually what, May, June that we start May, to see? Well, up in Burnsville, it's usually around uh, where I live. We're a little bit higher uh, elevation, but it is usually about June. Okay. And every year I still make my own double extraction as well. I go out and forage um, because I, I am a huge believer in using the botanicals that are around you if you can, if you have access to them. Um, and our suge makes, it is very high in terpenes. And it makes a chocolatey, delicious extract. It really mm -hmm. does. I know. I love the way it tastes. Yeah. It's, it's one of those, you know, with, with herbal, with herbal supplements and with mushrooms and everything else, sometimes the taste factor can be a little bit of a hesitation for some people, but really with the reishi, I find that it blends nicely. I've had chocolates with reishi in them again, yeah. you know, coffee, like it really does kind of lend chocolatey rich sort of uh, flavor profile. So I really appreciate that about it. And that's you were also, that's the terpenes. Okay. The terpenes. Yeah. Yeah. It's really high to date. There's over 300 identified different terpenes in, in Ganoderma species. Ganoderma oh, wow. Lucidum specifically. Yeah. And over 200 different types of polysaccharides. The, it's, the, the, the research out there on this mushroom is truly mind boggling. If you go to um, pubmed.gov, if you ever use that website and you just put in the genus Ganoderma, you pull up over 2,700 published peer-reviewed studies. I mean, it's impressive. Oh, wow. It really is. Yeah. And it's, it's been found to benefit nearly every system of the body. So I always tell people if there was one mushroom and you didn't know which one and you wanted to just choose one to take on a daily basis, that would be the one you want to choose. Reishi. <laughs> yes. You can't really get wrong with it. <laughs> Definitely. Anytime we start to get low in my house, my husband is like eyeing the jar and he's like, when are we going to get more reishi? I'm going to need some more reishi in my life. And it's one of those things that I think, you know, kind of like you said with the lion's mane, like maybe somebody would take lion's mane to support their nervous system or to support their mental faculties and processes or memory. And they're also getting that side benefit of the immune modulating. And so with reishi, I feel like once I do get into a really good 
consistent pattern with it. And I'm using, you know, I'm taking it on a regular basis. I find that I have this overall state of calm that I just feel a little bit more serene. I feel like I'm not quite as reactive to certain things. And I don't know where that falls into into line with the actual constituents of the mushroom, but it definitely has that settling, soothing sort of aspect in addition to all these other different things that you're talking about. So reishi really is, that's like the number one go-to, like the, you know, if you're just starting out in, in the world of the mushrooms, reishi is a great one to start with. Absolutely. It's gentle. You can take it every day. And what you're feeling, Anna Claire, has been confirmed through scientific research. Uh, Reishi's been shown to uh, reduce the sympathetic nervous system outflow. So our nervous system, as you know, it's broken up into, you have the central nervous system, you have the parasympathetic nervous system that is responsible for rest and digest. And then you have the sympathetic nervous system and that's where our fight or flight response is resides, right? And uh, in today's modern world, our fight or flight response is constantly getting triggered by different things, you know, the news or your Facebook feed or traffic, Um, (laughs) all the things. (laughs) Exactly. And so Reishi helps reduce that sympathetic nervous system outflow by engaging the parasympathetic nervous system. So it really is a chill pill in the truest sense of the word, but it doesn't sedate you. It just helps you be able to react to stress in a more balanced way and maybe not fly off the handle as much. A lot of people that take Reishi long-term, they call it their happy pill. I hear people say that. It's my Zen pill um, or or my Zen extract. And it, it does. It's beautiful that it has that impact on us. We also know it works on our gabinergic receptors as well. So it helps us sleep better at night, even when we take it during the day. So that's probably why it's giving you that nice balanced. Yeah, (laughs) that makes sense. And I love too that, like you said, it's not sedating at all. It's just calming in a way that you can, it's almost like it kind of prepares you to be more ready to respond rather than to like freak out when something happens. You're like in this calm state of mind where you can be like, okay, I'm going to assess the situation. I've got this under control instead of, you know, just like losing it in the moment. So I really appreciate that. And just so beautiful that it it just kind of knows how to get in there and do exactly what we need it to do, especially for the, you know, pretty stressful times that we're living in. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and I think the more we study mushrooms, beneficial and functional mushrooms, we're going to find that adaptogenic quality about a lot of them. A lot of them. They, they almost seem how to know how to get into your body and fine tune what what is specific to you, to your biochemistry is what we're finding out. Now that's not saying every mushroom is for every person. Definitely not. Uh, But when you take a whole well-rounded functional mushroom extract or a concentrate, you're really getting um, just a beautiful symphony of different compounds to work with your own biochemistry uh, in a very gentle way most of the time, but it can be very profound too. Absolutely. Definitely. And, you know, you mentioned lion's mane too, and I've, I've had lion's mane in a number of ways, whether it's been through 
a double extraction or um, one of the host defense capsules. Mm-hmm. I've also cooked lion's mane and it's super delicious cooked. It's almost like saute it in some butter or some ghee. It's It tastes like crab meat to me. Yeah, a lot like of people seafood. say seafood. Yeah, or they say lobster. I, I love it. I, lion's mane is one of my very, very favorite choice edibles. Uh, and I when I find it, when I'm out, you know, foraging, I just do a little happy dance because <laughs> it's wonderful. It's delicious and it's great in stir fries. It's also 40% protein by weight. So it's a mushroom that we really should be growing for, our, uh, you know, our farmer's markets and encouraging the home cultivator to grow them because it is so nutritionally beneficial as well. The sad thing is it doesn't have a real long shelf life. So we're probably never going to see it in our big grocery stores but the more we support our local um, cultivators and local local growers and farmers markets, I think that we'll start to see lion's mane show up quite a bit. Yeah, we've had some in the markets around here, around Asheville, and just another just another good reason to support local. You get all sorts of yeah. special items that you're you're right you're not going to find in the the regular market or grocery store. So I'm wondering with these different mushrooms, some of them are more edible than others. What do you find as far as the difference between eating mushrooms or incorporating them into your foods and meals and taking them in capsules or extracts? Is there a huge difference or is it really just kind of about the concentration or the amount that you're getting or the consistency? Yeah, that's, boy, there's a lot to answer in that question. (laughs) But the answer is, It's wonderful to fit mushrooms into your diet as much as possible, whether that is through clean, organic mushrooms that you use, uh, that you get from your farmer's market or your local cultivator, or um, clean organic extracts, uh, or even concentrates like the company I work for, Host Defense, makes. It's the reason mushrooms are so beneficial to us. I mean, there are many, many reasons, but one of the reasons is because of the antioxidant activity that they promote within the body. Uh, And we all know antioxidants are what help keep us healthy every day and and, and limit free radical damage in the body from toxic substances that we're exposed to in our modern world. So more antioxidant activity is really good. And all mushrooms contain a very special antioxidant called ergothionine. And what's so neat about ergothionine is that Uh, we can't, every single immune cell we have has a receptor for this antioxidant, ergothionine. So we know it's vital that we get it in our diet and we have to get it in our diet because our body can't make it. Our body makes certain endogenous antioxidants like SOD and glutathione, but we can't make ergothionine. And we, the primary source of ergothionine on this planet is fungi and mycobacteria. And that's it. It's made in the soil from fungal organisms and bacterial organisms. Uh, Certain plants will take it up through the soil. Black beans is a good source. Oats are a good source. They tend to hyper-concentrate it, but they don't make it. They actually get it from what this fungal organism is making um, in the soil in these mycobacteria. And so it gets distributed on up the food chain in that way. But it is so essential for our health that we have a receptor on nearly every immune cell in our body for ergothionine. 
Um, plus, there's all these beautiful epidemiological studies that we can look uh, at with populations that make mushrooms part of their regular daily diet. There's a study called the Singapore study that was published, I want to say a couple of years ago now, maybe 2019, that analyzed, did you hear about that study? They analyzed, um, uh, I think it was over 60,000 people. I mean, it was a pretty large study. And they found that people that ate two or more servings of mushrooms a week had a 60% less chance of developing cogn age-related cognitive decline. Oh, now wow. that was all different types. That was culinary mushrooms. That's, this is from a culture that, that regularly eats mushrooms, you know, and okataki and maitake and shiitake, not just the little bit boring brown mushroom that we're so used <laughs> to. Um, but that's a good reason to, to, a good reason to make mushrooms part of your, your diet. Uh, on a regular basis. Now, if, if you can't do that because you have um, organoleptic issues with mushrooms, first of all, if you are somebody that, that doesn't like the taste or the texture of mushrooms and you're thinking about the slimy mushroom in the can that's on pizzas, let me assure you that there are many, many different textures and tastes of mushrooms out there. They're not all that, that mushroom. Um, so I would encourage you to, to at least try some different ones. But if you're just somebody that can't do that, uh, supplementation can be a good choice. Supplementation can also be a good choice when you have a health um, concern that you want to use functional foods to address. Uh, supplementation can be targeted in its approach. So that's always a good reason for that as well. And some people just want that extra support, especially the immune support nowadays uh, by having an immune supplement every day or a supplement that's going to help uh, modulate their immune response. So that would be a good reason to also choose a mushroom supplement in addition to trying to incorporate them into the diet. Definitely. I really love that. I haven't heard of the ergothionine before, but it kind of makes me wonder if all the different mushroom composts and everything, if that's another reason why maybe they're really beneficial for gardening and such so that the vegetables or whatever else that we're growing can maybe sort of pull that up through the soil. Well, that's one thing. Yes. Yes. Are you talking about um, like potting soils and compost that have mycorrhiza? Uh, yeah, like I just started yeah. some seeds, you know, over yes. the weekend, actually, and there's some humic acid and mycorrhizae in the soil yes. for starting the seeds. And it's supposed to help with like, really strengthening the roots as they grow and establishing the plant from the get go to be really healthy is my Absolutely. understanding, but I'm kind of new to that too. So right, <laughs> like, right. No. Well, now that's a whole new topic, which is very, very interesting. Um, but yes, I mean, we know every single plant that has been tested land plant has fungal DNA in some way. Uh, mycelium in the fungal kingdom acts as this beautiful bridge between plants and animals. And it's literally running through every landscape on earth. It's even been found in seabeds, fossilized in the seabed. So mycelium uh, connects many plants together. It helps, um, with the root system of the plant, mycorrhiza mycelium does. It helps to shuttle nutrients to the plant. 
It also helps the plant communicate with other plants within its uh, little biosphere. And in repayment, the mycorrhiza will take carbohydrates from the plant. So it's this symbiotic relationship. And studies have shown that plants that have this mycorrhizal support grow a lot better than ones that don't. They also are more resistant to drought, more resistant to pests. So there's a lot of good reasons you want mycorrhiza in your soil, in your soil. And you want to start your seeds with that as well. Well, I'm super excited that that's the one I chose for this year. <laughs> that sounds yeah, like yeah. sounds like a good intuitive hit there. Um, so as you're talking about mycelium, I would love to expound on this a little bit more. And one of the things also with supplements that I've noticed, I'm going to get maybe a little controversial here again, is that some of the things I see talk about using only the fruiting body of the mushroom, which is um, to my knowledge, that's kind of the part that we can see, like the Ganoderma growing out of the tree. And then yeah. some other supplements that I've seen, and I know, I think that Host Defense does use a lot of the mycelium yeah. in their supplements and extracts too. So I wonder if you might be able to talk a little bit about this um, seeming divide between fruiting body better or mycelium better, or how they might both work in tandem together or what, what are the studies showing as far as that goes? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, it's funny because I have seen, I've seen this great debate as well. I'm really in the middle of it quite a lot. And it seems like these people, like folks are pitting the mushroom fruiting body against mushroom mycelium. And at Host Defense, we, we're not, we think all stages of the mushroom are awesome and equally as important to each other. So it's not that host defense is anti-fruiting body, but we are very pro-mycelium. And there's really good reasons for that. You know, I think some of these people that are very resistant uh, to talking about mushroom mycelium, they tend to be traditionalists uh, and they look at this long traditional use in Chinese medicine. And of course, our herbal ancestors were utilizing the part that they saw which was the reproductive organ of the mushroom organism. And it's called the fruiting body. Um, it's very young, so it's, it's, it's very out there. And that's what you see when you look at a mushroom, you're seeing its genitalia, basically, its reproductive organ. You are not seeing that entire organism. That entire organism is buried in the leaf litter or buried in the tree or buried in whatever substrate that it's growing in. And that's the mushroom mycelium. The mycelium has been shown to be more metabolically active than the fruiting body stage. It has to be. It's only one cell wall thick. And it's buried in this environment with no separation between it and its environment. It comes up against competitors that want to eat its food. It comes up against predators that want to eat it. So mushroom mycelium become incredibly adept at manufacturing highly specialized compounds uh, to protect itself, some of which are antioxidants, some of which are immune complexes. And those are absent from, highly absent from the mushroom fruiting body. By the time the mushroom gets to where it wants to reproduce, it shuts down a lot of the metabolic processes that are going on inside the mycelium. Uh, so the enzyme secretion largely drops off the immune uh, complex production highly drops off and it focuses all its intention on 
laminating together and forming a fruit body. I mean, we've got to remember a fruit body is mycelium. It's just really tightly laminated mushroom mycelium. Uh, and then it, 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 it focuses on reproduction. It usually, that usually happens when the mushroom organism is running out of food and it knows it needs to sporulate and reproduce so it can continue with its existence. So that's where the organism's focus is, is on reproduction. So as this is going on, this whole organism is generating all kinds of different compounds. And we know that there are many valuable compounds found within the fruiting body. Uh, those valuable compounds are also found in the mycelium, but the mycelium also has additional compounds that have been studied and found to be beneficial for human health. Uh, and so that's why we get so excited about mushroom mycelium. It is in all of our products, but we also grow our own fruit bodies and our fruit bodies are in a lot of our products as well. We are the only people or the first people that started doing this. So we are sort of pioneers. We could be considered more progressives, not traditionalists. Traditionalists do sometimes have a hard time adapting to new science and new ways of doing things. And we definitely are doing it very new. Um, but what's so interesting is that when you look at the scientific literature that's been published, we see this transition happening out there within the world as well, where people are starting to analyze the health benefits more. They're focusing more on mushroom mycelium and not so heavily on the fruiting body. And this could be for a number of different reasons. It could be that this science is progressing. And so we're seeing all of the different potential that we have with growing and utilizing mushroom mycelium. It could be that large scale cultivation of mushroom fruit bodies is not ecologically sustainable. The amount of wood that you need to generate, you know, enough fungal material to extract for a large scale supplement market, it's just not sustainable anyway, any way you look at it. Um, and it also could be because um, it is you have more controls over growing mycelium. You can control uh, the nutrient load. You can control um, the time it's grown. Uh, so there's more laboratory controls that are built into that process as well. Um, but this, the science is very, very interesting. We, we ourselves at Host Defense contracted with a third-party laboratory in Oregon called National Immune Systems back in 2017. And we sent them four of our uh, products to test on human blood cells. We went with this lab because they had a real high rate of publication from their, from their uh, experiments. And we, wanted, we knew we eventually wanted to publish uh, and there, there's been many papers that have been published from that laboratory that have a very low rate of uh, error. So we definitely wanted to, to go with that. And we also wanted to test on human blood cells. We, we didn't want to, we're definitely against animal testing. Um, and we wanted to see how our products impacted the human immune response. So all four of our products engaged the immune system in a very balanced way. Uh, this was shown through cytokine production, which are the immune messenger molecules that our immune cells use to communicate with each other. 
And uh, they, we were very pleased with the results. We've had two published peer-reviewed studies from these results already uh, published, and we're looking to publish a third one coming up very soon. So very intriguing results from that. But it showed that all of our mushrooms that we were using, we, were use, we sent them reishi, agaricon, turkey tail, and a blend that we make called My Community. All four of them engaged natural killer cells. Natural killer cells are part of our innate immune system that help to seek out and destroy uh, cell mutations and other pathogens, as well as macrophages, T cells, lymphocytes, and B cells. So these are all parts of our immune process, our immune response that we want alert and active uh, to keep us healthy every day. They did not stimulate granulocytes. Granulocytes are the part of our immune system that keeps us uh, free from parasite infiltration, but also is what, when, it when they become dysregulated, they are what's uh, called, they, they are heavily involved in the allergic response as well. So we didn't see any, uh, any engagement on that front, which was good. But what was so impressive was the, um, especially Garricon and Turkey Tail, elicited a strong IL interleukin-10 uh, secretion from these immune cells. And interleukin-10 or IL-10 is one of our main modulatory cytokines. When we become when we, become, when we experience a pathogen, our bodies, our immune cells will become upregulated and start generating a series of inflammatory cytokines. This is how we fend off a pathogen. We have to have inflammation, be able to do that. But after that happens and that pathogen is neutralized, our bodies also have to calm that down. And so IL-10 is one of the main cytokines that help our rein in our immune cells from being hyperactive and return them back to a stage of watchful waiting. So what this tells us is that the way that we're cultivating our mushroom mycelium, it is encouraging an alert and nimble immune system, but it's not sending our immune system into hyperdrive. We don't want all of our immune cells excited at one time. That would be disastrous. Um, and when that happens, we have something that um, we could have an allergic reaction or an autoimmune reaction. So we want our immune cells to be balanced and function in a state of um, function and have the ability to quickly leap into action when they're needed and then also return back to um, watchful waiting is what we call it modulation. So that pleased us. We wanted to, we wanted to know that or we it was nice to know that we weren't exciting the immune system. It's more encouraging immune modulation. So it sounds like based on those studies, the whole mushroom, the fruiting body, the mycelium is really beneficial. And I love looking at it this way too, because with, uh, with herbalism, it's oftentimes the same way we're using the whole plant tends to be more beneficial than extracting one particular constituent, Absolutely. which is sort of the line between working with plants and working with pharmaceuticals, right? Where they're just taking this one thing that they think to be the active compound and really driving that home. Whereas when we, when we work with a being, a plant, a mushroom in its wholest and, and most full form, there oftentimes are even more benefits to that than just taking one part out of the whole, it would seem. We wholeheartedly agree at Host Defense. I'm 
part of the, the formulation team and we formulate with whole herbs and whole mushrooms. Uh, we do not believe in isolates. When you start isolating compounds, you leave behind cofactors and synergistic compounds that could be what in fact is helping that other compound class work efficiently. And we've seen that time and time again when they uh, isolated hypericin from St. John's wort and then, oh, lo and behold, it's not working on its own. And that is the problem. I read a lot of scientific studies, but that's the problem with scientific studies. They're very myopic. They are usually looking for a drug they're, they're researching these natural substances to see if they can isolate a compound class and then concentrate it and develop it into, into drug, into a drug. And drug development is reductionistic by its very, very nature. So you have to sort of read these scientific studies with a keen eye. Um, and that is one thing that you, a lot of people that are into mushrooms will focus on just one class of compounds and that's beta-glucans. And that's because beta-glucans were discovered, I'd say back in the 50s, they've been studied ever since and found to engage our immune system, our immune cells. Are they the only class of compounds in mushrooms that's beneficial? Absolutely not. But that is where a lot of the, especially the earlier science focused. And a lot of people to this day will focus just on that one class of compounds. But beta-glucans are not something that you really want to take in absence of other cofactors and synergists, because we know that beta-glucans can upregulate immune cells. But once your immune cell is upregulated, you know, it has to also return back to that state of watchful waiting. And uh, that's largely your terpenes and your sterols and your lipids that are found in that whole mushroom that are encouraging that response. It's like what goes up must also come back down yeah. eventually. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So it sounds like a, a lot of it, it really comes down to modulating, like you're saying, right. where we're not driving the response up too far, but it's also not a subpar sort of um, situation where it's really just kind of helping to balance things out and bring, bring things back into greater harmony. Absolutely. You want your immune system there in that Goldilocks zone is what we call it. We don't want it too hot. Uh, we don't want it too cold either. We want it to be right in that balanced zone so it can respond quickly and then return back to that, that state where it's alert, but it's not reactive. And right. mushrooms, whole mushrooms are showing that they can encourage this from the immune system. So it's a definitely a good consideration to uh, when you are taking mushrooms. I do get asked a lot. People are like, well, what am I going to have? You know, I have an autoimmune condition. Is this going to make it worse? And we have not seen that in practice. We have not seen that in the literature. As long as you are using a whole mushroom extract that combines all of that, all of the compounds within that organism. So it seems like it's actually really important to look for that, to look for this whole, whole organism functioning right. together. Right. And, and it's not, I mean, there are a lot of studies that have been done on hot water extracts of adult fruiting bodies. I'm not going to say, I mean, that is the traditional way of preparation. When you look at Chinese medicine, uh, reishi, for example, was decocted low and slow sometimes over a period of three days. And that hot water extract is what was used. And 
I'm not going to say that isn't beneficial. It is, but you're only extracting water-soluble components when you're using water. And we know that if you're wanting to get that full representation, you really want to use fat-soluble components as well. So you need alcohol for that. Um, you can use stronger solvents, but those aren't typically solvents that you want to consume. So alcohol is probably going to be your best bet. And that helps extract your terpenes, which are so important. Your lipids, your sterols, those come out in the alcohol extract as well. So you want to look for that if you're looking for a supplement. If you're looking for a capsule, you know, I, I would always recommend looking for one that utilized mycelium along with, if it is going to use the fruiting body, that's fine. Uh, but you would want one that would have mycelium in it as well to give you that well-rounded uh, functional mushroom supplement. I love that there are so many different ways to, that as we're talking, that we can incorporate mushrooms into our lives between eating them or working with them in tea or working with them as a capsule or as a liquid extract. And, and that's such a great point because my understanding is the water-soluble components, those are mostly the polysaccharides, right? Most and then, of your, yes, exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. And so when you're talking about the mycelium and the fruiting bodies and the differences between these and how they're, they're really beneficial when they can both be used together. Um, I know that in some of our previous conversations, we were talking about different aspects of mycelium and how once you get kind of out of the science of it, there's some more sort of interesting information about mycelium. Um, would you want to take a few minutes and share some of that with us as well? Oh, sure. I, I, <laughs> I think a lot about mushrooms and I think a lot about mycelium and, you know, I, uh, mycelium is to me like the archetypical feminine, uh, the spirit of the archetypical mother. It's very nurturing and yin-like in its manifestation. And we're starting to see this recognition of the hidden body of the mushroom, what we call the mushroom. I think when most people think of the word mushroom, they are thinking what comes to mind is the fruiting body or the reproductive organ. But this emerging consciousness of mycelium is slowly uh, and very efficiently grabbing hold of our consciousness too. And Mycelium is, we, we wouldn't be on this planet without mushroom mycelium. We wouldn't have soil to grow our vegetables in without mushroom mycelium. We wouldn't have trees. Uh, this very brilliant professor of ecology, Suzanne Samard, I don't know if you heard of her, but she discovered, uh, gosh, back in the late 90s now, I think, that the trees, trees in a forest ecosystem actually communicate with each other via mushroom mycelium and the uh, communication that that tree has, an intimate relationship it has with the mycelium that's coursing underneath the soil. And in this way, trees can alert each other to potential threats in their environment. They can also shuttle nutrients to each other. So in addition to that, mycelium sort of serves as a universal translator for different species of plants and later works by Suzanne Samard, she found out that mycelium can actually help a spruce tree 
communicate with a fir tree and a blade of grass communicate with a bush in the, in the ecosystem. So it's sort of this beautiful bridge between plant life and human life. It responds to you when you walk through the forest, it springs up where your footfalls land. Uh, and it is something that our world would not exist without it. We wouldn't have plant life, we wouldn't have animal life without it. It's very interesting though, because really this consciousness is only starting to get out there within our society. Up until the 1950s, mushrooms were considered part of the plant kingdom. They weren't, they weren't even considered their own kingdom uh, of fungi. So a lot of this information that we're getting is just slowly unraveling as we discover more and more about the yin aspect of this fungal organism. But to me personally, uh, you know, having so many mentors in, in the herbal world, as well as in the mycological world, uh, I have found that the feminine aspect in the mycological world is largely lacking. Uh, most of our great mycologists, and they are great, wonderful, but they're mostly men. And I really want to see in my lifetime more of us come into this field, more women come into this field and, and study mycelium specifically um, and the, 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 the nurturing aspect of the fungal organism, I hope will encourage us to be able to do that the more it gets out into our society. That's so beautiful. And um, wow, I've never heard mycelium explained that way. I feel like it's this sort of, it's just reminding me of our world in general in so many ways, just like you were saying with the field of herbalism and with the field of um, studying the mushrooms and, and fungi and to think of the mycelium as this archetype of the great mother and this yin aspect, this inner consciousness, and that it, it really seems like it's a time in our world, in our societies, that this consciousness come to light. So it's just like such a, I'm getting this visual of this mycelium, which is not necessarily always visible to the naked eye because it is often underground or in trees or in the substrates. And, and that's, you know, kind of the beauty of it is that it's this hidden thing, but at the same time to start to look at that more closely and to give it more attention, it sounds like there are so many other worlds that can be opened up just from shifting our attention a little bit away from what's bright and shiny and right in front of our faces and delving a little deeper. And I just think that that's such a great way to look at our world and where we are right now. And, and just kind of, it's just really beautiful to me. It kind of makes me think too, I don't know if you've ever heard, there's this little contraption. I want to say it's called the song of the plants. And it has these little electrodes that you can attach to plants on their stems or their leaves or the flowers. And they actually emit frequencies that sound like music, like songs. Yes. It sounds very celestial and very yes. melodic. And I'm, it's making me wonder if this has ever been done with mushrooms or my It has, it has, it has. In fact, Paul regularly sends us, uh, links to tracks that people have sent him uh, that are growing mycelium and growing mushrooms. And they, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. In fact, there are uh, 
want to say it. Is it Urban Nomad? I have to check if it's Urban Nomad. There is a band that actually has used this and incorporated this into their own music. And it's the song of the mushrooms. I'll, I'll dig around and see if I can find it for you. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. If we can find that, I'll put it in the show notes to share with listeners. Absolutely. Too. Absolutely. He, he met these folks um, at Burning Man. And so they became inspired after they developed a relationship with Paul and they started using these beautiful soundtracks of mushroom mycelium growing in, in their music. So I'll have to send it to you. Oh, wow. That's so fascinating. I know the first time I heard one of those recordings, it was actually with an aloe plant. And I ended up using that just as sort of background music when I was working with some clients. And I noticed it really seemed to be this calming, just soothing music. And it literally was coming from the plants. It's literally the frequencies that they emit. And that just is mind blowing to me. It's so beautiful. And they always, and I've, I've interacted with one of these machines um, hooked up to a plant in person too, at one of the American Herbalist Guild conferences. And the plant actually interacts with the people, like the different frequencies that are emitted change depending on who's interacting with the plant, how close they get. We literally saw the plant kind of almost like back away or shy away from a particular person who had a little bit more of an aggressive sort of um, presentation, you know, and and the the plant made very different sounds in that instance. And it's just mesmerizing to me that, you know, that's not something again, that we would hear without this sort of, um, you know, machine in between us that's helping us to hear that on a different level. But when you do hear it, it's, it's, amazing it is and it's you know i i think those machines are awesome because they are putting uh they're letting our senses in on something that i think our extrasensory picks up anyway i mean how do we feel when we're in a forest and surrounded by trees and plants and herbs and mushrooms and mycelium what does that do to our spirit we may not be hearing it but we are still immersed in that energy and we're still picking it up. And oh, so it's, it's really cool that those little, those machines are, are showing us, they're, they're giving validity to this energy that we already perceive. We just don't have a language built in of how to describe it, uh, at least in the American language. Um, the Japanese call it forest bathing. I forgot their, their actual word, but they actually have uh, physicians that recommend, hey, you, you need to go to this type of forest and you need to spend an hour in this forest. And that's part of their wellness program <laughs> as part of the treatment protocol. Sounds I like just, great therapy to me. <laughs> yeah, it's good therapy, isn't it? <laughs> Definitely. And that's such a great point too. I wouldn't have even considered thinking of it like that, but there's so many different things that we're picking up on when we're in those situations that we we don't know how to really quantify or talk about, you know, because they're they're not always tangible, but we feel them nonetheless. And so right. that's such a great point. Like we're feeling the mycelium, even if we're not really super conscious that that's what we're picking up on. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel that too. And it feels us as well. 
Absolutely. And uh, that just feels so magical. I love it. I feel like we could, we could probably riff on mushrooms for days. So we Absolutely. might have to come back around and talk about some other subjects at a later time, but I would love, um, I think this is a really great start, especially for people who might not know a lot about mushrooms and how they can be supportive and beneficial for the body, especially in the times that we're living in. So if people wanted to learn more, what are some good resources where they can connect either with you or with host defense or, um, you know, just different ways that they can learn more Absolutely. about hostdefense.com. You can go and we have a lot of resources there, especially if you're looking for the products. We also have fungi.com, F-U-N-G-I.com. There's additional resources there. If you're interested in looking up um, beneficial mushrooms and scientific peer-reviewed studies, you can go to mushroomreferences.com. And that is a database that houses uh, hundreds of articles on beneficial mushroom species, uh, mushroom fruit bodies, as well as mycelium. And uh, we also are starting to do a lot of Instagram live. Uh, we have done some consumer lectures live. So check for us on Instagram as well, because we're doing more and more of that, uh, trying to get the good word out there and educate folks about all the wonderful things that mushrooms can do for them. Uh, so that would be a good place to look as well. Awesome. So many great resources. And it sounds like there's a lot of information out there. And I love that Host Defense is pioneering a lot of this research and partnering with different companies and labs to make this more available for all of us. And I do remember, I think it's been maybe a year or two, wasn't there recently a mushroom documentary that came out that people fantastic fungi yeah yeah that that documentary was 12 years in the making and it is one of the most beautiful uh cinematograph uh it's just it's it is like eye candy for the soul really um especially if you love mushrooms that is a that is a a beautiful film that louis schwartzberg put together paul has a pretty large part in it uh but just beautiful time lapse uh, cinematography of mushrooms sporulating and, and growing. And it's just, it is beautiful. So I, I highly recommend that. Yeah. That I don't, I think when it first came out, it was airing only in certain locations, like some of the local certain art, theaters. art theaters and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And um, at the time I was super busy and didn't get around to checking it out. So I definitely want to loop back around and, and watch that because I heard such beautiful, beautiful reviews. It's uplifting. It is uplifting. And it does go into uh, some of the current scientific applications uh, for mushrooms. But it's, it is, it's really all around a beautiful, beautiful film on mushrooms. So if anybody's interested, I highly recommend it. Oh, I can't wait to check it out. Well, I'm going to ask just one more question for you today. And this is something that I've started to incorporate into every podcast episode that I record. And that is... Is there anything that comes to mind for you right now that really feels like it's nourishing you on some level, on any level, just what's like feeding your soul and spirit right now? Oh, wow. You like those blindsided questions. <laughs> There's always got to be one, right? <laughs> what's feeding my soul right now is the spring ephemerals that are coming up in our woods. 
um, the promise of morel hunting uh, right around the corner. So close. Uh, I'm, I This spring seems to me that it's carrying with it this beautiful air of hope and renewal. And I'm really digging that vibe. Uh, I'm doing a lot of beautiful herbal teas right now that are helping to nurture and nourish me. Uh, one of my favorites, can I give a shout out to a bioregional herbalist or no? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay. <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> Chill Out Tea by Red Moon Herbs. I love that. I have been drinking that a lot. It's helping me just sort of really, you know, chill out, taking my reishi every day, uh, as usual, taking my lion's mane every day. And yeah, just honestly, that's what's been vibing me out right now. It's just the, the hint of spring, that spring is here. And it seems like there's a lot of beautiful hope for the future that's coming with that. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I have to admit too that this time of the year in Appalachia is one of the most beautiful. It's just, you know, after we're coming out of winter and seeing, like you said, all these spring ephemerals and there's chickweed everywhere and dandelions and violets. And, you know, it's so funny because I think a lot of people see these different plants and they're like, oh no, the weeds are coming back. But for us plant people and herbalists, we're like, I get to start foraging and harvesting again. And I get to eat all this stuff out of my yard. And, you know, there's, there's something really beautiful beautiful to be said about weeding your garden and getting food out of it or weeding, you know eating it's what we call it yes you cracked me up because yesterday I was walking out to my compost pile and I was saying hi chickweed oh hi dandelion like if anybody was out there watching me they would have thought oh my god that woman is crazy oh I'm the same same way I'm so excited <laughs> it, it yeah it's such an exciting time of year it's just everything is coming back to life again and it's starting to get green and I used to live at the beach in South Carolina before I moved up to the Asheville area. And I remember my first spring here in Appalachia, I was like, I had no idea that there were so many different shades of green. I know, right? Yeah, the weeping willow start and they're this kind of neon green. And then you've got the green of the chickweed and the green of the cleavers, just everything. And it's, it's always just the most beautiful time of the year. I mean, every, every, you know, season has its own glory, but definitely coming out of winter and going into spring and yeah, I'm right there with you. I love it. So I think it's because we have such a, we have, we have some very pronounced seasons here and winter can be pretty harsh in Appalachia. Mm -hmm. And so I think it makes spring even more we appreciate it even more when we go through that winter time, that renewal, you know, introspection and staying in the cabin by the wood stove and, you know, not getting out a whole lot. So absolutely. And comes, it, it feels like getting set free. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like, Oh, I get yeah. to, it's, it's like dance time. Like I get to move exactly. my body again and do all these different things and get out and into the world. So, Oh, I love that. And we're definitely coming up on some really beautiful plants here and it's a very exciting time yeah. to be alive. <laughs> it is. It is. I agree. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Gina, for being on the show today. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to touching base with you again soon. Thank you, Anna-Claire. Thanks for having me. Uh, Thank you so much. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Sage and Spirit. You can download more episodes and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. 
For more show notes and guest information, visit dancingsagewellness.com. Until next time, take care and be well.